You are Locked On Wizards, your daily Washington Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back for another edition of the Lockdown Wizards podcast. Ben Standing here talking to you guys on a Tuesday night. Uh, the Wizards-Celtics Game 5 will go in about oh, 20 hours or so from now. Um, but that means we've got more time for some podcasting. So uh, if you guys have been paying, playing along here, then you kind of know where, where, where we're at. But just to set the table on this particular here podcast... I've got a two-part kind of a situation. First part, probably for about 12 minutes minutes or so, I talk with uh, Washington Post columnist Jerry Brewer, who did a really good uh, piece this week about Otto Porter, specifically, I guess, just how, uh, the, the, how, how the fundamentals of Otto Porter's game came to be. We know it's a family thing with Otto, but it's not necessarily what you guys think. Uh, so we'll talk a bunch about Otto, uh, his the background, but his game now and the future and, and all that. After that, since Otto is a Georgetown guy, I thought, well, now might be a good time to catch up with my Georgetown guys about the uh, one month into the Patrick Ewing era. So I got my friend Andrew Geiger, who runs Casual Hoya, and Bobby Bancroft. We went probably for a good 45 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer even, talking about a whole bunch of things Georgetown. So for the Georgetown people, uh, this will be, uh, I assume, between the Otto and the and the Georgetown thing. You guys will be happy. For all you just into the Wizards, um, maybe you just you jump out after the uh, after the Jerry Brewer part. I won't I, I won't be blame, blame you. The, the Georgetown thing is a little bit nerdy because there's not a ton going on, but we get into basically what do we think so far that's happened, what do we think about the recruiting, do we really think anything has changed, so on and so on. So I think it's a good conversation, but this may not be for everybody. But for those of you who are on the wizard front and and want more than just that conversation with Jerry Brewer, we've got that for you because today already, meaning Tuesday, I put up two other podcasts already. One is about John Wall and his relationship with Steven Jackson, uh, the former NBA star, uh, uh, old school NBA kind of guy. Uh, talked about that, got have sound from both of them talking about the other. I had I, I, I talked to Steven Jackson after game four. Uh, so interesting there, the dynamic and what it means that, in my opinion, that a guy like Steven Jackson is a big fan of John Wall. Then on another podcast, all about Markeith Morris, includes uh, sound from Markeith Morris from today uh, at, at from Wizards practice, but along with some things he said after game four, also includes John Wall's uh, take on, on Markeith Morris. I asked him a, a couple of questions today. You'll hear that. And then also mixed in there, Glenn Consor, the Wizards radio voice. He and I had a conversation about various aspects of Markeith Morris as well, a guy who's really turned into such a, a, a key and vital player for this team. So there's all that, not to mention the Mike Wise interview I did on uh, Monday, plus Todd Dibas and I did the recap podcast uh, Sunday night. Uh, I will just say, and I'll jump into the Jerry Brewer thing right after this, but um, the last two days of the podcast have been the biggest po- uh, days for, for downloads uh, that we've had on the podcast by far, 
Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Obviously, things are getting interesting. They've been interesting for a while, but, you know, 2-2, two, two, uh, you know, you can kind of taste it that the Wizards could be on the cusp of something big here, especially if they can win Game 5 in Boston. But either way, I really appreciate, of course, you, the support from you guys throughout this. So let's just jump into this right now. Uh, here we go, my interview with Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. Of course, follow him on Twitter, at Jerry Brewer. If you don't already, you want to follow us, at Locked on Wizards at Ben Standing, and of course, follow us on, subscribe to iTunes. All right, here we go. My interview with Jerry Brewer talking about the Wizards starting small forward, Otto Porter. All right, we're here with uh, Jerry Brewer of the Washington Post. You know, they always say, kids, it's important to learn something every day, and, uh, you know, I've been covering Otto Porter now for uh, six years, something like that, since his day he showed up at Georgetown. So I think I know the whole story. Apparently, I did not because Jerry informs me in his uh, really good column in the Washington Post that um, when we talk about Otto's game, we all knew it was a small town story and his family, this big family, kind of helped him evolve. Turns out that his mom had a lot more to do with it than uh, than, than we all knew. So I want to get Jerry's take. I want Jerry to sort of talk about that. And you all should read the article. I guess what first off, we're talking before game four. Are you enjoying this? Is this is it? Is, are you having as much fun sort of just watching these two teams go at it, old school style, style like I am? Oh, most definitely. I think it's the most fun that I've had with a with a local team uh, since I came to the post two years ago. I mean, this series is is on fire right now. We're only three games in, and I think we're going to go all seven. I, I think both teams have that mentality that it's going to go seven. We'll see if. If the Wizards can take care of business and perform, so you 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 were, you were not here for the Paul Pierce run. That that was wow. that was the most fun I had covering him in the playoffs. Was the most fun I have had covering anything in sports. I think because all game. I mean all of that. I mean he had like he had a whole he was crushing Toronto in round one, making making cracks at them. That he was public enemy number one, and it was it was literally like watching because you know he's going to the Hall of Fame like watching. Babe Ruth call his shot almost. I mean, I'm not, you know. But anyway, so that was a lot of fun. But you're right. This has been uh, a, a tremendous ride in game four. We're talking, like I said, before the game. So I'm going to guess it'll be another interesting chapter there. But one reason why I think the Wizards have been more successful offensively this series, even though to this point they're still losing in it, is because of what they're getting from the wings, particularly Otto and Porter and Bogdanovich. But for Otto, he's, he's, he's getting looser. The, the kind of guy we saw earlier in the year, I mean, he finished fourth in the NBA in three-point shooting this year. He's evolved in that realm. Um, and what your article, what your column today talked about was how that evolution came to be, not just in terms of this series, but in terms of his entire career and how much his mother uh helps with that this is sort of walks through how, how, what's the what's the just your comments or how did you kind of get that idea uh to do it well you know i mean with, with otto's story you always think about his father otto porter senior who it's senior and junior were probably the, the best players ever to come out of scott county central high school <laughs> uh, in sykeston missouri and you also think about uh Marcus Timmons, uh, who's his uncle, okay. who uh, played at Southern Illinois, was a great defensive player, went over and played in uh, Australia and had a good career. And then they often talk about about uh, his uncle, um, who who had a, a youth league team, and all the Porters and Timmons and all their best friends played on that team, and that was kind of a feeder to uh, to what they became in high school, but. Uh, you forget, you know, mom played as well. And she was an All-State player in 1985. And uh, she was a freshman in 82 when they won the school's first state championship. 
in, in 84 as a junior. Uh, she made a, a really key shot, a couple of key shots en route to them winning the state championship then. So just like Otto, she was part of three state championship winning teams in four years in college or in high school and uh, was a noted shooter. Well, guess what? You know, mom and dad have to work and uh, it couldn't always be Otto and dad. And I think if you had to say who had the most influence, it's probably his father. But when it came time, he's about eight years old. Hey, I want to learn how to shoot a jump shot. I need to learn how to shoot a jump shot. It was his mom who taught him the early mechanics of shooting that shot. Things that she says, you know, Otto says, ah, <laughs> oh, man, my mechanics have changed quite a bit. But she says she can still see the hallmarks of what she, of how she taught him to shoot the basketball. And, and um, you know, she was kind of the hammer in the house. You know, when Otto came home, he had to do his homework. He had to get his shots up. And then he could go and, and, and do what other things kids do, play, play ride his bike, uh, play video games, all of that. So... Uh, she had a tremendous influence early on as he was learning uh, how to put together a shot. And it just so happens that you know, now Otto has gone from a guy who was more of just a mid-range type guy to one of the best three-point shooters in the game and one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA, period. Yeah, absolutely. The efficiency is definitely uh, a big thing. You know, one, one thing that struck me about that story and reminded me of his of his story is that how much of a small town kid he is. I mean, the small town kid story, you see it, I think, more, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you see it more It's like in baseball or in football or in the NFL even. But in the NBA, we're typically talking about, you know, guys from New York, Chicago, you know, even for the Wizards, St. Bradley Beals from St. Louis, John Walls from Raleigh, North Carolina, which isn't a metropolis, but it's not – 300 people in a town like right. we're sort of talking about here with Otto and it's sort of you know and I and he's he's obviously matured as a human being but he's still that still that uh, I see a lot of that sm- small town kid that I saw first time I met him at Georgetown how as you've dealt with him as you looked into this art column and dealt with him how is that aspect do you think how, how much you notice that and how unique is that compared to other NBA players you've been around oh very unique uh I had a line in the column. It got too long, so I had to take it out. <laughs> I take out this big chunk of a paragraph that, that I had as like the second to last paragraph, and just basically saying, you know, a lot of today's player, you have to deprogram a lot of what they learn as a youth because it's just so much based on let's get out there and let's play summer ball and let's play eighty, a hundred games. Winning doesn't always matter. It's about you getting yours and you building your reputation. Um, I don't think all AAU and all that's bad, but that, that is one aspect that's a consistent thread. And, oh, and and then guys are more about athleticism than skill. And here's Otto Porter, who's the exact opposite, never played an AAU game. Uh, everything he learned was about skill. He did a lot of drills and everything. He played a lot of basketball uh, with his teams and with his family, and he learned how to compete and uh you know, so many basketball players in that family, you know, they were rough on him. Uh, so it's not like he turned into this soft guy, uh, but he's very much a skill-based guy. And that's that's a little bit different. I mean, you think, you think that it, that's more of what's become a European style of play as opposed to an American style of play. But uh, I think you can, you can see a lot of that coming back. I mean, not to compare Otto to a, 
to a Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant, you know, a DC kid. I mean, you know, he could play the street game, but what made Kevin Durant so advanced and so good was what he did in the gym, developing his skill set and being able to be almost seven feet tall and, and play that way. Uh, that's what gave him an edge. That's why he was the number two pick in the draft. That's why he's one of the best players on the planet. Porter, uh, a lot of times you see a guy who's a number three pick in the draft. Uh, it's contract time. Um, they don't always play the right way. They're trying to get theirs. They're trying to do whatever they can do to get that, that big contract. But he's not that guy. I mean, he, he is a guy who, you know, he'll tell you again and again when you, when you get a chance to just talk to him one-on-one. And sometimes it's like pulling teeth to, to get the good quotes out of Otto. But yes. he'll tell you consistently he learned to play basketball a certain way. You learn how to play without the ball, moving, cutting, uh, a team game. Um, make sure that you know when you shoot the basketball, uh, your feet are set and you're square, and it's a good shot. And that's just consistent. That's that is the way he plays in the NBA. Uh, no level of stardom is ever going to change that. And I think that's why he fits in so well with this team. You still want to see him evolve and maybe even do more. Uh, scoring the basketball, being more assertive, but he's the perfect teammate because he'll do all the little things, and now he's not just Mr. Versatility, he's Mr. Versatility with a jump shot. And when you can shoot in the league and do all the little things, I mean, you're just you're a prized commodity. You helps space the floor uh, in addition to you know, all, the mi- all the miles he runs uh, throughout a game, getting loose balls, diving, diving for balls, taking charges, getting offensive rebounds, all those little things. All right, so definitely I don't want to take away from more, any more of his uh, comms, so go read that of Washington Post and follow Jerry on Twitter, at Jerry Brewer. Um, I guess I'll just ask you one more auto question since you have him on the brain. You mentioned his potential evolution doing more. We've all talked about the idea he's going to be, his contract is basically coming up more or less, restricted fridge and all that something's going to give one way or the other without getting into the, if you want to, you don't have to get into the money aspect of it, but do you actually see a true next step for him? Not just improving at the margins of what he does, but becoming that true third piece with Wall or Beal, or if he went somewhere else, becoming more of that true foundation piece for another team? Or is it he's a tremendous quote-unquote role player, but that's kind of where he is? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I don't see him being someone who makes multiple all-star games or anything like that. But I do think he is, uh, I think he could be the third option on a championship team. And obviously the Wizards are trying to build something there. Uh, I I don't think, what, 13.4 points is his peak as a scorer. I mean, I look at him as someone who uh, can score 16, 17. He'd probably only need one more shot a game uh, to do that, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was uh, 51.6% overall, 43.4 from three, shot shot 83% from the line. I mean, it's not unreasonable to think that he could be a 50-40-90 guy, which is the gold standard of shooting in the league. So I don't think that Otto uh, – I wouldn't have reservations to pay him whatever it takes to keep him. Now, I do think they're in an interesting spot because – at that price point, when you start talking 80, 90, you know, $100 million, at that price point, I think it behooves you uh, to kind of see, you know, I mean, 
is there an established all-star? Uh, is there a team that is really interested in building their team and having a younger piece like Otto, who's what 24 years old? I think you still. I think you're gonna have to. Uh, it's not gonna be as the same as Bill next summer, where you just say, "All right, first day, boom." Here's your 127, 128 million dollars. Let's get this thing over with. I think you're going to have to flirt with some different possibilities. But let's say he comes back here uh, at four years, 88 million. Um, I wouldn't be afraid. I wouldn't be afraid to sign him to that kind of deal and move on. Yeah, it's pretty expensive, but it's it's a different NBA now. And you want to keep this team together as much as you possibly can. The only reason you wouldn't keep them together is if you can, like I said, go out and figure out a package in which you can get an established Paul George, Jimmy Butler level all-star. And I just don't, I mean, I think that's more unlikely than it is likely. Right. Well, it's definitely going to be a topic for sure when, whenever the Wizards season is over. Uh, it is not over one way or the other today. Jerry, appreciate it. We'll keep talking. Go read his work at the Washington Post. Jerry, man, I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. All right, many thanks to Jerry Brewer with the Washington Post for uh, chatting us up about Otto Porter and seeing as how, uh, yes, Otto Porter is on the Wizards, but seeing as how we first came to know him being on the Georgetown Hoyas, I thought now would be a kind of a good time to touch base on what the hell is going on in the Patrick Ewing era, doing that with two guys who I talked to Georgetown about on this podcast, Andrew Geiger, the man behind Casual Hoya, and Bobby Bancroft, the man behind Twitter fights with John Feinstein. How uh, how are we all doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great, Ben. Your, your segue skills are unparalleled. Hey, man, you know. I'm I'm a professional podcaster getting paid by uh, in amateur dollars. So uh <clears throat> so so there you go. Um all right. So uh, as as I just told you guys on the podcast uh, lately for the uh doing when we do some recaps, kind of going with the who what where when why of it all just to sort of stay organized. Figured we'll just kind of go with that format here. Uh we'll touch base on a bunch of different topics. Um and uh, let's just start with this pretty broad opening uh, topic and that is where as in where are you one month in to the Patrick Ewing era uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just simply say I'm sort of giving the I'm, I, I got the shrugs emoji right now he's doing some work they've brought in uh, you know let's I guess we can set the stage a little bit here they brought in uh, one uh, grad transfer uh, with Trey Dickerson um, point guard who actually liked one of my Wizards tweets today, which is pretty rare for a Georgetown player to, to like a tweet of mine that has nothing to do with him. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's that. They added uh, two freshmen, one uh, point guard, one a seven foot three center, but they still got a lot of work uh, left to do as far as filling out the roster. They've lost a Koya Gao since we last spoke. Um, they have not officially added any assistance. We'll talk more about the assistance later. But anyway, Andrew, if you want to go first. Where are you one month into the Patrick Ewing era? I mean, I think everything has to be encouraging, right? I mean, you every day there seems to be a flurry of new activity. There are offers being handed out left and right. It's just kind of exciting, really. I mean, I'm not doing backflips over Dickerson, um, you know, and Chris Sodom just yet. Uh, I think they're that you know they're not really difference makers heading into next season but it's encouraging to see us out there again and kind of in the mix for other guys 
Uh, Al Stork visiting today was nice. Um, I, I probably think the ship has sailed on Tremont waters, but who knows? Um, so I, I think the fact that people are still interested and discussing Georgetown basketball, and here we are um, in May, is pretty exciting. Just to, uh, you mentioned uh, Allstork. We're talking about Mark Allstork, a, uh, what, a wing guard out of, uh, where is it, Wright State? Yeah. Wright State. Um, uh-huh. Average 19 points a game. Uh, he's getting looked at by a bunch of schools. I'm not saying that he's like a total difference maker, but, you know, maybe he's the he's the Rodney Pryor of this class if they can get him in. No, wait, is he eligible now or does he have to sit here? I'm He's he's good to go. Uh, he's 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 the grad pretty team. much. Yeah, I mean he's he's if he commits, he's going to be what Roddy Pryor was last year. I mean I don't know if he's as good. Um, I did take a look at his Snapchat today. I don't know if you, if you checked that out or anyone else listening did check that out, but it's pretty interesting. M Alstork A L S T O R K. Uh, he was kind of giving a uh, play by play on his Snapchat of his visit, and uh, it showed some pretty cool things, including a. Uh, you know, workout at the Thompson Center, him with John Thompson, him with Patrick Ewing, going by the White House is, is pretty cool. Um, and by the visuals of his game, he looks kind of like DSR-ish, except a little, you know, a little bit taller. Um, obviously, I think he'd, he'd be a big help for next season. Yeah, I mean, in theory, he would be, at, at this point, the biggest get that, that they would have uh, added to the roster. Um for sure. Uh, but anyway, all right, Bobby, uh, your, your, your first thoughts on where we are one month into the Patrick Ewing era. Uh, um, there's been some good stuff. I like, um, I like some of the social media stuff where Ewing's been sort of more visible than I feel like JT three has ever been as far as, you know, and maybe I'm being harsh when he, you know, JT three was hired. The world was different. There was no Twitter and all that stuff, Snapchat, but it just seems like he's sort of out and about a little bit. And uh, doing some of the stuff that I know Ben and I talk about all the time. Obviously, they're out there offering players, which is cool. They've got some commitments. They're filling out a roster, which is sort of what has to be done. Um, my big thing with Ewing was, let's see who the assistants are. So the fact that we don't have any actual total confirmation on that, even though we seem to think it's Robert Kirby and uh, Louis Orr, the fact that there's still sort of business as usual at Georgetown, keeping stuff secret, not really into that. Um, the fact that there's some strong Ronnie Thompson rumors floating around, that would be, I think, uh, interesting is the nice way I'll put it. Um, you know, it's sort of, this is what, you know, the only thing that could have happened crazy big right now is if Tremont Waters would have recommitted. And I feel like that's probably not going to happen. So I think they're doing okay. They're getting guys, you know, it's about what you'd expect. I think it'd be great if they could really shore in those assistants and make that public. Um, that's kind of well, where but I am. That, but, but, and, and I, I hear you on that, but isn't that more for our benefit than anything else? I mean, it, it doesn't seem to me that a lack of any announcement or perhaps the hiring of a third assistant has really hurt them so far as far as any perception out there with recruits. Uh, I think one of the things that's been really encouraging is seeing these kids react to Ewing, um, you know, via tweets or pictures or whatever, saying, oh, man, that's Patrick Ewing. This is so cool, that kind of thing, which we never had before. Uh, Kirby is great. I mean, he's in the mix. My understanding is that they want to announce – they'll make an announcement when the whole staff is put together. But Kirby's there, um, and we know Orr is there. 
Um, and we know Wahid's been out there. Um, so I don't know in what capacity he might stay on, but it appears that he's still around. Um, and same goes for Wallace, I believe. I don't know if he's some sort of ops guy or, or whatever. Um, but the, the overall point is that we're still out there recruiting. Guys are getting offers. Um, whether we have a full staff assembled at this point or not, I just don't think it's hurting us. I don't, that, that might be true, but I also feel like when Patrick Ewing, you know, his press conference, and he talked all about the DMV, the DMV, focus on the DMV. I think everyone's sort of just waiting for who is your DMV assistant? And I don't see it yet. If all the guys we're talking about are the guys that are going to be here, then they didn't really fill that spot, which I think that was a big deal in my mind. So I'm still waiting on that. Hopefully they get it. Hopefully there's been a lot of guys mentioned. Hopefully one of them, you know, ends up for whatever reason, it hasn't been announced yet and they're still working it out. That's fine. But I think there will be a little bit of a letdown if there's not a DMV guy hired. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, you know, frankly, they probably should have just kept brought us. Uh, whether or not it was his choice or, or not to leave is, is another story, but um, he would have been great, I think. Um, I would have totally been cool with that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Skin was interviewed, that Jamil Jones was interviewed. I, th- I think I saw something that Jones went to Wake Forest. Yes, uh, I don't know, a couple of days ago. So I think that's that's out of the question. Okay. Shimon Williams was Shimon Williams was a name that was thrown around early, but I don't know what's up with that. And I saw that Tremont Waters is considering Western Kentucky, which is, uh, I mean, you couldn't find a school more opposite than Georgetown in Western Kentucky. Right. So I don't really know what's going on with with Waters. I have a feeling his father is getting involved and causing problems for him. I, I, I feel bad for the kid when re- recruitments like this get all uh, murky for whatever reason. But um, if Shimon Williams is, is his lead recruiter at Western Kentucky, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, that would certainly take him out of the mix of Georgetown. So on the, um, <clears throat> on the Ronnie Thompson front, I mean, I, Andrew, I don't know what you have, but in the last four, I, I, in the last 48 hours, I had somebody tell me who somebody who not does not 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 part of the administration or the school, but somebody who potentially would know things say he had been told that Ronnie Thompson will be on the coaching staff. I then talked to somebody else who was pretty close to the situation and essentially said, "Oh Lord, can they give this rumor a rest already?" So mm-hmm. I'm not getting. I, I don't know what to make of it. My, my general take all, for all the time has been I don't get why. I, Knowing Ron a little bit from covering the Wizards over at CSN with him and, and having conversations and just sort of getting a little bit of look of his life, I don't really get that he would want to be go through the grind of being an assistant. And obviously, there's a lot of, as nice of a guy as Ron has been with me, and while I think some people may under understate his potential help as an assistant, I just don't think that would be a good look for the, for the school to have a Thompson come back and be on the staff. It's already a thing with Ewing being as close to the Thompsons as he is to then have an actual Thompson on the staff wouldn't be a great look, but in any event, it's at best missed signals. And I would still, I guess, assume it's not happening, but um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see until, until it's locked up until we know for sure who's on the staff. I'm not ruling anything out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, the, the fan base's reaction, at least on the site has been, um, quite angry whenever that uh, whenever Ryan Thompson's name is brought up as a possible assistant so uh, I'm in your ballpark there then again 
I mean, who knows? Uh, You know, is it really such a bad thing to have a Thompson on the bench? I don't know. Well, I think it's it's also he hasn't been involved in college basketball in forever. Like, so if you're going to if you're going to have Louis Orr, who hasn't been a college coach for a couple of years and Ron Thompson, I think, got out of Ball State in 07 or 08. I mean, you know, I think Patrick Ewing needs guys that are pretty connected into college basketball, the current climate. But at least, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, we see we see analysts go from TV to being the GM of the 49ers or the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. So at least he has been around the sport. It's not like he's been sitting on the couch for four years. So to that extent, I don't think it's that crazy. And he does do AAU recruiting type stuff in the area. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's not somebody who's been on the staff truly hitting the recruiting beat for the last several years. And, and, you know, again, we're talking about perception. We're talking about the perception of Ewing earlier about that it seems like the kids are liking what they're seeing, the, the reaction out of him. It doesn't seem like it's an issue that Georgetown hasn't named its staff. Maybe all that's true. I don't know totally. But the perception of a, of a Thompson on the bench I don't think would be good, even if the reality is Ronnie might be a reasonable, reasonably good assistant. But again, the perception doesn't really matter. You're talking about perception from our perspective or the Georgetown fan perspective, right? No one cares about that. Doesn't really matter, right? And at the end of the day, you're talking about a third assistant on a college basketball team. And yes, while you'd want a powerhouse DMV recruiter, if you've got Ewing out there and it looks like he's willing to get out there, um, he is. I mean, he's in the DMV Hall of Fame or whatever, right? The DC Hall of Fame for whatever that's worth. And Kirby is a national powerhouse recruiter. You know, I just don't think that this is all that big of a deal. I'm way more concerned about Tremont Waters and, and all this stuff than who our third assistant is going to be. But, I mean, isn't at the end of the day, do we do any of us really think that Patrick Ewing is going to be – I mean, as is the case with a lot of these things, we always, you guys always tell me, because you guys are way into the more recruiting than I am, that this assistant was the lead on this guy and that this assistant was the lead on that guy and that Ewing is going to come in and be the closer. So to that end, who the assistants are. Well, well, you, well but the, the problem is, under the former regime with JT3, that had to be the case, because you had his guys like Brodus and um, the, the Hardy and whoever it was down the line, Kenny Hunter and uh, Cox, they, they had to be the soldiers. They had to go out there because JT3 didn't want to do it. He'd show up towards at the end of the game when he had to make an appearance at a game or what have you, but he was never the lead guy. I mean, if, if Ewing can get out there and, and press the flesh and, you know, get with these AAU coaches and get with the kids' parents, you really don't need that DMV recruiter that much. I do think you need one. Right, but you think that's realistic? I mean, Patrick Ewing, he's going to have to learn the entire college game. I mean, he's going to have no choice but to do it all right now, but I'm just saying in time, realistically, how is he going to – I don't realistically see Patrick Ewing – even in my best expectations, I don't see Patrick Ewing being the quote-unquote lead recruiter on anybody. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think one month in, I think we all have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. He's shown, he, he has shown in his first 30 days or whatever it's been um, that he has been out there just as much as any other college coach doing what he's got to do. Yeah, I mean, look, at the, like I said, I, to me the assistant thing is overblown typically when, when, when it was all brought up you know, a month ago. And everybody's freaking out about it. I was far more interested in sort of trying to figure out the Patrick Ewing aspect of it all. So they'll get recruit, they'll get assistance eventually. And to the, anyway, to answer sort of the, the the question up top, yeah, seems like he's doing all the right things for the most part. I did see him. I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. I was covering the the uh, Boston Celtics were practicing at Georgetown, 
Um, he was there with some of the recruits, including we, no, I didn't know who it was at the time. Uh, but this ridiculously tall guy comes through, and we're there among NBA players, and everybody's like, "Who the heck is that guy?" And I guess it was was it Sodom? Uh, he, he, yeah. he, it was him. And obviously, like the next day, I guess he signed on. But in any event, um, to to Bobby's point about the social media and Ewing being out there, I mean, JT three was always cool with me. But Patrick Ewing, who doesn't know me at all, I met him for a couple minutes at the press conference, but he met a hundred people. So I walked over to him. He was with these people. I was like, "Hey, just you know." Introduce myself. I'm, you know, I'm gonna. I, I met you at the, at the press conference, but you already forgot. I'm sure I'll be covering you. He's like, oh, cool. He's like, how's it going? I'm like, oh, you know, it's fine with me. How's it going for you? <laughs> and and you were and you were taken aback because no one had ever asked you that question before. So, so, something to that effect. When I was expecting, yeah, it was a human conversation. Uh, there were the people in the room, like David Aldridge was there or whatever. But in any event, yeah, he was cool and he was like, yeah, I'm with all these uh, assistant, all, all these recruits. Hoping some of them will stay, and then two of my guests did it because I think Dickerson was there also. Again, I don't, I didn't know, I don't know what they looked like. Um, and anyway, do you think, um, do you think Shvatkin's practicing going Dickerson to Derrickson for the dunk? <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, how many, ta- how many times have you seen? How many times have you seen Derrickson dunk? I'm optimistic. Well, how about just, <laughs> how about just Dickerson dishes to Der- to Derrickson? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, GD to MD? I don't know. Yeah. And by the way, in case I just forget to say it, I also saw JT3 twice over the last couple of days at the Wizards. I think Bobby saw him. Uh, we both saw him at Game 3, and then I saw him again, again at Game 4. Uh, first time I've seen him since, the, you know, he was fired. We didn't get, we didn't talk yeah. so much about anything other than, you know, hey, how's it going? He seemed to be in pretty good spirits. Um, he At one point I was talking with him, and Michael Wilbon came on, and I sort of got uh, cock-blocked there, as you can might imagine. Up, uh, I mean, and, and, <laughs> I mean that in a nice way. Does you know he wasn't a dick, but or a jerk, but whatever. Anyway, um, in that he basically JT three sort of said, um, I don't know what his future plans are, but he seemed to sort of say, okay, he's been you know he 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 he's done with the wallowing. What what's next? So I don't know what that means for him, but he seemed like he was in good spirits. So um, you know, that's good to see. If I can. he 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 could be very good on TV. I mean, he you know he's got a personality. I just don't think he was ever for whatever reason really able to show it i mean you'd know better than i would since you saw him on a day-to-day basis um it seems like when whenever he had the opportunity to not talk about georgetown stuff that he was kind of more affable um that was at least my perception uh yeah you know we'll see i mean look he's done tv before could be an option for him um you know obviously it looks like he's gonna you know even if he wants to get back into coaching it's not going to be this season which is you know reasonable so We'll see what the future holds for him. Hopefully, that future includes get, uh, coming on the podcast. I, I did. I, I did bring it up. He asked if I needed an assistant. I was like, "Yeah, on the podcast." Come on. <laughs> um, all right, let's go to the. Hold on. And by the way, you we mentioned uh, Trey Dickerson briefly. He could be good. I I, I don't know. I mean, this combination well, of Dickerson and, and Blair. Well, hold on. Um, well, hold on. We'll get. We'll, yeah. You can get into that right here if you want, because we're going to get to the the Fair who enough. of it all, as in. Who is the most interesting newcomer for the Hoyas? Now I don't know if that if Trey Dickerson is the most interesting one for you, but if you'd like to advocate that case, go ahead. Uh, no, I mean I think the the most interesting addition for the offseason, obviously other than Ewing or obviously other than than Kirby, who I think will do great things again. I mean if we're talking about players, uh, this two-headed point guard uh, combo that we have in Javon Blair and Trey Dickerson could be interesting. Um, you know, Blair, 
mean, fighting Canada, no one really knows what, what his deal is, but he's got good size. He's six four. He's a lefty. Brings something different to the table. Dickerson, yeah, I mean, he was bouncing around playing in South Dakota or what have you, but he was a former Iowa commit. Uh, he's from New York. Uh, maybe he brings some, you know, greediness to, to the court. I think if if the watership has indeed sailed, maybe we're not in such bad shape after all at the one with with those two. Bobby, who you, who's the most interesting newcomer for the Hoyas in your opinion? It's pretty hard to answer that. I think I'm going to go with the seven foot three kid, just because Georgetown can play no interior defense, and Ewing got himself a big. And he has to know that. I mean, if you watch any Georgetown game film, which I assume you watch some, they just can't defend at all as a team. And I thought Agao was probably their best. Uh, low post defender, he's gone. So the fact that Ogao leaves and pretty quick they, they pick up a big guy, I think I'm interested to see what he can offer in terms of not just one-on-one defense, but just team defense, because Georgetown's defense has just been a mess for a couple years now. Yeah, I, I, he's interesting in the sense that obviously he's 7-3 and kind of an interesting figure. I just don't know what he what he can really contribute right off the bat. Um you know, I think he's only played for three years, for professional basketball at least. Uh, he's got to be raw. His highlights look great. I mean, and he did, you know, he was recruited by New Mexico, so that's, you know, that's encouraging. It wasn't some, you know, low major. Um, but I was just looking at the roster, though. Like, who is – where's the scoring coming from? Uh, we'll get to, we'll get to, we'll get to that. <laughs> we, 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 got, we got categories for, 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 for what's to come. Uh, but to stay well, with- well, but but if we're if we're talking about newcomers, right? And I know you know All Star visited today and, and all that, but they can't be I done. Mean, if, if, they can't be done, right? But if he doesn't commit, then like we're really looking pretty bare next season. But I mean, I think this goes back to the point that when we had this conversation a month or six weeks ago, or either when JG three was fired or with Ewing got hired, I think Bobby and I were on the assumption that hey. No matter what, they're not going to be good next year. And Patrick Ewing basically said the exact same thing. You were more, I know we're more optimistic, and that's totally reasonable. And look, if they get All Star, and you know, you always you always leave the opportunity for a Derrickson or a Govan or Caleb Johnson or somebody to make that next step. I mean, it does happen. We've seen it time and time again. But yeah, on the surface, they're not going to be good next year. Again, if they get All Star, they get Tremont Waters. He figures out some another player. Okay. I mean, to be honest, the bigger issue for me with the roster isn't even next year. I think, what do they have, two spots left? The year after that, though, they have, like, seven spots open. Uh, and yeah. so if you take if you, if you you kind of give Ewing the pass this year, I'm almost a little bit more interested. Not saying you want to dismiss this year. I'm not saying that. But I'm almost more curious to see what's he going to look like by next year when, in theory, he'll have a year into this and what's the roster going to look like. The, right now, that next year's roster – is very uncertain, and uh, you know that's when I think he'll start being truly graded, even you know beyond uh, this year. Well, and that's the roster that the assistants and the staff next year's recruiting class will be an actual real recruiting class, where you'd hope he'd get four guys, four or five kids, and at least three of them are like legitimate guys that you're thinking are going to be able to do something. So that's where it's really going to come in, and. That's going to be a big deal for well, him. It, yeah, if, if you include Anton Walker, who we had to essentially, I guess, re-recruit. Um, you know, his 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 class so far is Walker, Sodom, and Blair. 
uh, and I guess Dickerson for this year. It's not bad. I've uh, got two two open spots. If if Waters and Allstar c- come come to Georgetown, then I think we're in very good shape actually, uh, like very very good shape. Um, if it's just all if it's neither, then horrendous. If it's just Allstar, I think at least we can be competitive. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I mean, let's, I mean, I look at. Well, I say let's just. Realize, I was just going to say if. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, let me just go quick. If if All Stork is Rodney Pryor, who's LJ Peak? I mean, they somebody else. Had, I mean, they had those two guys last year and still had a bad record. So, again, I I, I I'm wide open to the idea that Derrickson or Govan take big leaps. I'm just saying, even if this kid comes in, and even if Tremont Waters comes in, I mean, the hype on him has been so high. I don't know what to make of him. So they got to replace Pryor and Peak, and at the moment, that's you know I don't know how that's happening. Well, I think I think that's true. I think though what I'm hoping for is that, and maybe this is just I'm living in some sort of fantasy world, but maybe that JT3's scheme was holding some of these guys back a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, we we all heard how Caleb Johnson was impressive in practices and and what have you, but he never did anything on the floor. I, maybe he was under some sort of, man, I only, I'm only playing six minutes a game. I got to do X, Y, and Z or else I'm screwed, you know, and kind of pressing a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess part of my optimism for next year is new system in addition to, you know, new players, because we really don't know what this team is going to look like. And also part of your optimism, and I mean this in an absolutely nice way, is you want them to be good. <laughs> Yes. Um, and like I said, that's what my, honestly, I've told Bobby this before. My, one of my, basically my favorite thing about college basketball is watching the players progress. I mean, the one and done is a whole separate deal, but watching the guys come in over time. I mean, Charles Smith was always sort of the, the one I always pointed to. He was the worst player I had ever seen his freshman year. And halfway through his sophomore year, he was better than Reggie Williams. And then the progression just kind of kept going from there. Uh, at, while, while I was at Georgetown and you see other guys, make these leaps over time um you know <laughs> all right so uh hopefully we got rid of the technical issues there in any event um yeah i mean like i said uh, we'll, we'll see the, there's always hope that some of these guys on the team actually will get better you make the good point andrew that maybe the system change will help again that's the one thing patrick ewing is an absolute blank slate right now and we have no idea what's going to happen on that front um so you know we'll, we'll have to uh Wait and see on on that. Uh, let's get to the uh, the when of it all. Is in when do you think we'll actually find out who is on Ewing's staff officially? Okay, yeah, technically we know Louis Orr is in, Robert Kirby is in. Uh, I've seen Jonathan Wall. John, I saw Jonathan Wallace the other day. From what I understand, he's going to be around. Um, why uh, I'm blanking on his first name, but Wahid was with JT three last year. There's a sense, I guess, that he's sticking around. We're talking about this third assistant. Regardless of that, no no official memo. No nothing saying any of this is true. So it's now May 9th. What's your guess? When are we going to actually know who's on Patrick Ewing's staff? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll set the over-under at June 1, just because it's nice and round. That That's what it was last time for the two. And then they announced the third assistant in August, if you can believe it, when the last coaching change wow. happened. Yeah. Well, again, so if if they're not announcing, if they're not going to make an announcement until everyone's on board, um, I still think it happens 
this month. So I'll still stick with June 1. July is the big month. July is basically like the entire recruiting world just spends all like the whole month recruiting. So you basically need to have your staff by July. Hmm. Yeah. All right. June, so June June 1. I'm going to go over for if that's the over under. I'm going over. The, my my favorite part is just that no matter who, how many times I try to ask anybody or have any sense, I, nobody knows. And I mean that like, the, 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 I, I guess this is my residual hangover from what I've been dealing with for the last however many years covering Georgetown and my sense of them forever. Maybe it, maybe it is truly a change. Maybe this is just, hey, we really just haven't made a decision yet. And, that, and, that, and that's reasonable. I'm not saying they need to rush and hire people just to, to hurry up and do it. But I feel like if, at the moment on this issue, it's like, oh boy, here we go again. I'm never going to know who's actually on this freaking staff. <laughs> We're just going to, one day, we'll, we'll show up at the media day in September, and Patrick, you're going to be there, and there'll be other guys in, in sweatsuits working out players. <laughs> they seem to like it that way for some reason, and I don't think it's all that interesting when you're not good. That's only sort of interesting when you're like, you know, the the big fish. Right, but no one, again, no one cares. Like, we care. You know, the, the people who are going to be listening to this care, the people who are on our sites care, but no one really cares whether, you know, this Georgetown's assistant. We have seen some people a, like, uh, it was Eric Bossy from Rivals and Goodman. There are people that have yeah, sort of they, taken some shots at the fact that Georgetown's taking so long. That's because they, they feel like they should be getting information and they're getting nothing. I mean, okay. They don't care. They don't care right. who's on Georgetown staff. They just want to break the news who's on Georgetown staff. Right. No, I'm with you on that. A lot of times, if you see one of those Goodman type guys, not saying him necessarily, but just that type of person that start bagging on a program or a coach, it's because they have no access. And so, if they're gonna have no access, they might as well go at go at them. What that that's their way of showing that they're talking about the situation. Uh, but but the one thing I don't know is like, did the guy who went from Oklahoma State to Illinois does he already have a coaching staff? Uh, does, uh... Somebody mentioned that the guy that you know uh, that became the favorite of everyone, the darling from UNCW, Keats doesn't have a staff at UNC Wilmington or at uh, NC State yet. And, and by the way, I will just I, I will just throw this in here since we're talking about the coaching staff. Quick uh, quick answers from both of you uh, on a scale of one well, okay, on a scale of one to ten, how big of a blow was it that Brodus didn't just leave Georgetown but went to Maryland? Casual. I'll go over to you first. One to ten. Uh, I hate it. Um, you know, a ten is kind of drastic, but I'll put it as at least a seven or an eight. I think that's, you know, anywhere else but Maryland was was my hope. Bobby, I'm I've talked. I've talked to some Maryland. I've talked to some Maryland people that don't like it nearly as much as I hate it, because and I don't pay attention to Maryland, but apparently. The knock on Turgeon's been that they recruit well, they don't develop, and that Brodus mm. is basically just a recruiter as well. So Maryland's problem hasn't been recruiting, it's been development. And, you know, Brodus is sort of known for recruiting and not developing. So I was surprised to hear some Maryland people not in love with it to the fact where I was very upset about it. Well, I think, and, and, yeah. and, and, and what you're saying, Bobby, is 100% true. I mean, as somebody who does pay attention to the Maryland side of things, that has been exactly the problem. When, when when Turgeon got there, he aggressively recruited. He brought in some big-time assistant. Like, right now, when he was, you know, he brought in guys, everybody was like, wow, he got that guy to be an assistant. 
the thing was all those guys were constantly out on the road and nobody was back at home actually helping the players get better. So guys like Shaquille Clear, who was a big recruit for them, bombed out. And, you know, they had that huge class of like six guys that came in. And ultimately, I think only Jake Lehman really ever panned out or stayed. Um, so, yeah, that is an interesting point. But the reason is Brodus was the one recruiting guy here with Georgetown so that he goes over there from, from the Georgetown perspective. It's like, oh, no. Maryland's getting this great recruiting guy or the perception of that, whereas Maryland's like, oh, no, we're getting a guy who's known as a recruiter, but we need the other thing. I, I really wanted to see Brodus given an opportunity to recruit the area without being hamstrung by, oh, they run the Princeton, we don't want our guards to play for you, all that stuff. I was very interested in seeing what he could do without having to, like, you know, fend off all the negative connotations about Georgetown. I thought you were going to say give him the chance to recruit without uh, being held back by a school that uh, cares about grades. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was selfishly hoping that Brodus and Kirby would be on the same staff um, just to see how what they could do together. Uh, you know, it's interesting that when uh, Kirby left way back when, that's when Brodus came back on. Uh, they never really had the chance to be on the same bench together. Uh, I think they could be a nice uh, little combination, but oh well. All right, let's get to the uh, what of it all, as in what is the biggest question you have left for the Hoyas? I mean, we can go in a hundred different ways on this one. I, I, I guess for me, I mean, look, I, I mean, obviously the roster, there's still some questions. We've talked at nauseum now about this coaching staff. I guess for me, and this is going to be one I really probably won't know until the season starts, is essentially – what is going to be the vibe of this organization, as it were? Is it going to be any different than it was under JT3? And again, JT3 was always pretty cool with me for the most part, but it was a bit of a pain in the butt to ever try to get any information. Um, and, you know, I know, like, you know, for Andrew, like, you, you, it's one of those things you might say, well, but nobody cares about some of this stuff but us. But the whole point is, if we can't get, me, we meaning reporters, can't get information, not necessarily saying you have to tell us who, you, you know, the, the deepest secrets, but just anything, just access at all, then it makes it harder to communicate to the fan base. That leads to the fan base getting frustrated because they don't know what's going on, which leads, I, as I said previously, to the anger on JT3 went up, I think, very quickly because people are like, hey, we already don't know anything. We're already frustrated, and now we stink. What the hell? So uh, I'm curious what the vibe is going to be, what's the approach is going to be from the, from the school out. And, uh, you know, again, that's a ways away, but kind of for me, that's kind of where I'm left right now. Bobby, how about you? Well, are you, are you, are you expecting, you know, open practices all of a sudden, like that kind of thing? Uh, probably not. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, but you know, who knows? I've seen Maryland practice before. I've seen the GW practice mm-hmm. before. Now I saw it in like early, I didn't see it the day they were, before they're playing Villanova, but I saw it before the season started kind of thing. So why not? I mean, again, whatever it is, I'm just saying, you know, the, they, you know, they, I'm not, it's not like I'm breaking news here. They, they can be more open, whether it's to the reporters, to the fan base, whatever. I think that benefits them collectively. If they just say to stay bunkered down with that same mentality, that Hoya paranoia or whatever you want to say, then at least on that front, nothing's going to get better and he better win. But Bobby, how about uh, you? What's the biggest question you have left for the Georgetown Hoyas? The biggest question is, I mean, how are they going to play? We have no idea. We have, you know, so that's not going to be something answered until you know months from now. But that's why, that's why this this is this is exciting. So no matter what happens, you can always be like, just like Andrew said a little bit ago, we got these guys on the roster that maybe like you know like a video game, they're going to get unlocked 
by playing a different, you know, a different style. Like I'm, I'm thinking mainly about Mulmore, um, but there's other guys too. So I think, you know, we're not going to know anything by Kenner League, although it'll be interesting to watch Kenner League just for many other novelty factors. But, you know, style of play, we have no idea. So you can kind of try piece it together maybe by the roster composition, which is funny because you really couldn't figure it out based on the last couple of years of the old regime based on what they we thought they wanted to do and what the roster was looking like. So as the roster keeps filling out, maybe I have an idea of like how they're going to play a little bit. But that's just a huge unknown, and that's going to be an unknown for months. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Melmore. That's, that's an interesting point because, you know, he, he came, I guess it was this, this time last year, where we're like, oh, wow, we got this kid who's averaging 27 points a game and, you know, wherever yeah. he was. And then, <laughs> look, you know, when he gets in the court, it's like, how, how, how did he score two points a game, right? Like, but he must have some sort of, uh, you know, offensive game that we just really didn't see. I mean, he did show an ability to get to the hoop. Couldn't really finish all that well. The shot was 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 quite something, uh, form wise. Uh, but yeah, may, maybe he is someone that can, you know, the light switch can go off or something like that, or he gets uncaged, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I just if we don't get anyone else. I mean, this is to answer your question, Ben. My biggest question is, like, are we really going to go into the season with a lineup of, I mean, <laughs> Jesse Govan, Marcus Derrickson, Caleb Johnson, Mosley, and some sort of Dickerson slash Malmore slash Blair point guard situation? Like, that, that's it? Like that, yeah, that's our team. That's that's who's on their team. It's <laughs> crazy. I mean, that's wild. Yeah, no. I mean, you look at the roster. It's hard <laughs> again, just from the 2017-18 perspective. It's hard to be like, oh, this is uh, this is good. And then, you know, it goes back to you know conversations we all had. You know, but that around the time JT three seemed to be on the hot seat. Um, that if you you could make the argument that. Hey, he needs to, you know, it's going to be bad next year. So there's no point just giving him one more year because it's not looking good. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that's what's sort of interesting about it, right? If JT3 is here and the exact same thing has happened in terms of the players that they've added, and maybe they even get All-Star can train my waters. I don't know if the excitement factor is that high, but because it's a new person, it's just different. Everybody's like, all right, let's see. Well, we'll yeah, I, I, again, I think basically the I, I whole think, season... I, I, yeah. The whole season was hinging on Tremont Waters. <laughs> right. I mean, I think, obviously, if they get Allstork and or Waters, it kind of changes things. If they get them both, it changes it big time. Um, but how does – with Dickerson specifically, I have to think that he committed because he saw an opportunity to get some minutes at the point guard spot, uh, even if, as I'm assuming, Trey Campbell – I'm assuming he's not playing next year based on some sort of leg injury that he, you know, put on his Instagram or Snapchat a while ago. It doesn't, doesn't look good. doesn't sound like he's going to be counted on for much next season, if anything. Um, but there's still sort of a crowded backcourt and specifically at the one spot with, uh, with Mulmore, Dickerson, Blair, and even Mosley, uh, like, what do you tell Tremont Waters now? Hey, come, 
come play, you're going to get 30 minutes a game at the one? Like, how does that even work? Well, I mean, yeah. I, I kind of, like, I mean, for one, I'm going to guess the, the, the uh, Blair, you know, again, only based on the fact that he's an incoming freshman. He's, he's like, what, like a, is he like a two-star or something? And I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying it's not like he's got a guy that's coming in that has huge hype and expectation. So you put all that together, I'm going to guess he'll be the, the seldom used guard, the fourth or the fifth guard maybe at best. Uh, the you're right. If Dickerson's coming here, you would have to assume, you know, again, yeah, we can, we can, we can, uh, if we rule out the, the academic aspect of it, why do you go to Georgetown? Presumably he thinks he's going to get minutes. Tremont Waters, who knows? I don't think, I mean, who knows what's going on with that kid? It's been forever and a day now since he decommitted. Like what is taking so long? Get, I mean, yeah. so, so, so maybe, I mean, you know, maybe Georgetown looked at Dickerson and was like, Hey, you know what? This kid's interesting. He wants to play. Well, if, you know, what, what we'll just move on. If Tremont Waters wants to show up, well, you know, it is what it is. So who knows? But I, but I think he needs to make a decision soon, like within the next week, doesn't he? I, I thought there was some sort of May deadline for uh, uncommitted guys to commit or else something happens. Well, that's what's so weird about it, right? I mean, a guy at that level – He's the kind of player, I mean, based on, you know, I'm just basing it on his, his recruiting hype, that he's a guy that shows up to a school and starts getting real minutes, but everybody else has to start making decisions. It's already May 9th. You can't wait forever. I mean, I, I Bobby and I were talking about the Otto situation when he came in. Wasn't he already done by now, or was it pretty close? I mean, that's, and he was pretty rare how late he he made a call. Otto, Otto committed in April. Okay, so so that was already late relatively speaking, and, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are a couple of, like, top ten guys who I don't think have made an announcement, but they, they can do what they want if they're that good. But everybody else is like, all right, look, man, you don't want to commit at some point, and that's especially in this era, this wild, wild west era where everybody transfers all over the place on on every front. So, you know, I don't know. Good for him if he wants to wait and he's making, I don't know what he's making his decision on, but it definitely seems odd considering how long it's been now since he decommitted. Yeah, I mean, every day that passes, I just don't see how it gets any better for us. Because I, I, I don't understand. It's not like anything. I mean, we're getting more players that are potentially eating away at his minutes. Although I guess if he commits, they'll, you know, he'll get his 30 minutes and whatever else has been promised to him. Um, and I just don't know what has really changed. And my, my whole thinking with him is he committed to the, the school and the program when, in my opinion, it was in worse shape than it is now. So, like, what what is really no, changed? No, no. Yeah, absolutely. This system for Ewing is going to be much better for no, but, Waters than, I mean, he, than he, JT3's he, system. He, he, he had the chance of playing with Paul White, Copeland, Peak. You know who else played with Paul White and Copeland and Peak? I mean, <laughs> who cares? I mean, these guys weren't weren't any good. We thought they were better than they were. Right, but if you're telling me the roster now is better than when he committed, no way. But at the time he committed, no, 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 no. no. I'm I'm talking about his. I'm talking about the system for him to show off, and you know, his his skill set. Roster aside, he he comes to Georgetown and he he's like the guy. You know what I mean? He's the he's the the Kemba Walker, if you will, in an offense that he would never have seen with with JT three there. Um, all right, let's uh, let, let's close this out. I saved the best for last. The the most important question. I just we just went through what is the biggest question left for the Hoyas. Here's the biggest question I have, Andrew. W- why is Bobby getting into fights with John Feinstein on Twitter? 
What the what what is going on here? Is I th- I think I think Bobby needs to walk us through that. I think I I had some work to do and I came back to Twitter and saw some back and forth and was very entertained. But Bobby, why don't you tell us how that all started? So on my tweet deck, I've got <laughs> I've got a thing for Hoyas in Georgetown, and I don't follow Feinstein. I, I mean, he barely tweets, you know. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I see this I see this thing. It's like, hey, you know. Uh, I'm very disappointed to hear that Georgetown and Maryland aren't playing. And, you know, then he took a couple, like, you know, pot shots at Georgetown, mentioning St. Leo's and this and that. So I just happened to, like, tweet at him, and I went to walk my dogs. And then, you know, Ben calls me, and, like, I, I, you know, I look well, at my phone, you, and I'm like... What did what, 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 you tweet at him? I tweeted, um... I oh, tweeted I- something... I tweeted something. Oh, I, I said, you know, I said, you know, the last couple of years, Maryland's played a non-division one school twice. They played Bowie State and they played something called St. Mary's, Maryland. And then he mm. came back at me. He's like, get over yourself. Every school does that. And I was like, dude, I'm <laughs> over myself. Like you are literally not like from what I know about him. He's not over himself here. Okay. here it, it, just to set the record straight. So fine scenes tweeting at somebody and says, uh, about Maryland, Georgetown. Ha, don't hold your breath. Look for a lot of St. Leo's on next season's schedule. I'm told they have eight games still open. Bobby, that's what that's what I lost my mind. Bobby quote tweets it and says Feinstein making the St. Leo's joke when Maryland has played a non-D1 the last two seasons at St. Mary's and Bowie State. Now, before we go any further, Andrew, let me just say I just went while we're talking. I went to look. Like when I said they were tweeting a lot, it's even way more than I thought. There's at least there's like at least like thirty <laughs> tweets. Between the two of them, wow. since May fifth. Well, you know what? Wow. You, know, you know what the best part is, and you know, Feinstein. I actually have a couple of his books. I liked him on the Kornheiser show. He's always hating on Georgetown. That's you know, he's got his own little problem with that. Whatever. Um, oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Well, you were Ben. Ben had mentioned that there were thirty tweets back and forth. Oh, so Years. he actually, I stopped at one point, and he took it upon himself to look at my timeline because I tweeted something like about him, but not to him. I said, look, you know what? The BB&T, it was what it was. It wasn't as good as some people wanted. He needs to, you know, people need to get over it. So then he comes tweeting at me. He's like, oh yeah, they raised $12 million. I I guess that's nothing. And I'm like, no dude, that's, that's, that's really awesome. But you were never satisfied because you always wanted to be like a Billy, a a Philly big five. And it's not, it's not something that, you know, is interesting here. (laughs) You know, so he so he he decided to like he's hey, I'm John Feinstein. I'm going to look at this guy, Bobby Bancroft, with an alligator for an avatar and I'm going to check, see what he's up to. I mean, what is this guy doing? Yeah, I mean, the BB&T thing, honestly, I think it, it could be better than it is. I just think Verizon is such a crappy venue for it. Like, I, even if it were played in the Smith Center, I think it'd be a better atmosphere. Well, and that's one of the, that's one of the things I said to him. I said, "Look, you know, it'd be cool if they played, but all you do is hear all the time about how, you know, the area needs this, everybody wants it, blah blah blah." Well, we were at the game last year. There was like, you know, it was listed at thirteen, which is a lie, so it was more like ten. Nobody came to the game. Well, you know, so and also to to Bobby's uh, point a little bit, like I would hear Feinstein on the radio over the over years talking about it, and like Bobby, I have some of his books, like them on Kornheiser, read his stuff over the years, yada yada yada. But I'd hear him talk about his tournament, and when he would get to the point of Georgetown not playing or this not being more of a local thing, he would more or less make some sort of uh, 
crack yeah. I guess Georgetown doesn't care about, you know, kids in need or whatever. Yeah, it's ridiculous. As, as opposed to being, you know, whatever. And and then look, let's I, I I've not been told this by any stretch. It cannot be a coincidence that the day right after Feinstein is out of the BBNT, Georgetown commits to doing it. <laughs> it can't be a coincidence. So um, I thought I I enjoyed uh, assuming that that wasn't a coincidence. I enjoyed Georgetown's uh, move on that one, even though that yeah that event is is not good. It would be cool if they could figure something out, like you said, playing at Swiss Center where George GW plays would be great, but it's pretty small. Maybe well maybe well, well what what's what's interesting what's interesting though is if he's right about the eight open games thing, that's interesting because. What are there? Ten non-conference games. If we know, or something that there's something like that, ten or eleven. If we know that one is Syracuse, and then at least one is going to be in this uh, Nike tournament in Portland. No three. Then, or whatever. That that means we don't have any other ones that are set. Is the Connecticut game not not still a thing? No UConn. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think that's the thing. I mean, I know we talked about last time. I think it's like, I feel like they're going to go MIAC heavy. And, you know, one of the things JT3 did a great job at, whether you liked his style or anything, they scheduled really well. You know, maybe even too well where they started losing to, you know, mid-majors with, like, good guards recently. But Mm -hmm. they weren't just, like, bringing through, like, you know, Morgan State, Bethong, Cookman, just all these teams that can't compete and just, you know, make the schedule just – I mean – Etrix last year, I think Georgetown was ten and zero, you know. So it's like, are we going to go back to that? I really hope not. So, so but, last, you know, last year they had they they lost to one of these teams. But last year, in terms of the teams, we'd all would would kind of just look past. They had five: South Carolina, Upstate, Arkansas State, Howard, Coppin State, Elon. Uh, actually, I guess that's six: UNC Greensboro also. Um, so that whatever that is, and that's not counting that that sort of weird game against LaSalle in in Miami. Plus the mm-hmm. plus the one plus the tournament uh, where they beat Oregon and got smushed in two other games. Uh, plus Syracuse, plus UConn, plus Maryland. So they'll also be the Big Ten thing, whatever that's going to be. Hey, so uh, Ben here. So I don't I had some. We had some technical uh, screw up uh, a couple times during the podcast. Seemed to be an issue more in the end. So we just kind of ended it. Had to sort of end it abruptly. Uh, but I think we've talked plenty about a situation where there really isn't that much going on. There's definitely some interesting things happening with Georgetown, uh, but uh, you know we're sort of speculating and hypothesizing as much as anything else here. So good time to end it here. Thank you guys for listening here. If you've gotten this far, if you're a Georgetown person, um, yeah, I probably should have said this earlier, but if you're listening to this far, you're definitely into the Georgetown situation. If you're interested in more podcasts, um, do me a favor, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standix and Andrew messages as well at Casual Hoyer or, um, on Twitter. Let us know if we can kind of gauge how many how much interest is out there. We can maybe look to do more, uh, especially for next season. Uh, anyway, so thanks to Andrew Geiger uh, with ca- at Casual Hoyer. Thanks to Bobby Bancroft at Bobby Bancroft on Twitter. Uh, thanks at the beginning at the beginning to uh, Jerry Brewer with the Washington Post at Jerry Brewer for his uh, Otto Porter conversation. And uh, we'll just end it there. Lots of other podcasts to listen to if you want to dive in ahead of Wizards Game 5 on Thursday. But until next time, see ya. 
Neal gets open for three. Dagger! Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com.